Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey coming at you this evening with um, a special treat. Uh, I've got um, an old friend um, with me, with his bandmate. Uh, they're play, playing two hardcore bands, uh, Straight Edge, uh, based out of Houston. Um, the, the, their projects are called Vanguard and Life Force. Um, they're both in them together. Uh, Vanguard's new EP, uh, Rage of Deliverance, will be out uh, soon, as will um, uh, Life Force's record, which is, remind me, help me out, guys. Uh, Hope and Defiance. Hope and Defiance. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so they've got uh, two new projects in the can, um, and I'm excited to talk to them about uh, what they have going on, their musicianship, their philosophies, and uh, why they do what they do. So, Josh Flint. Thanks for joining me. For sure, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. You're very welcome. How are we doing today? Chilling. It's good. We Chilling. just finished listening to the uh, test press for the Vanguard EP. So uh, it was not my first listen through, but first listen through with Josh. So. Yeah, very, very exciting stuff. Very cool to be putting out two records <clears throat> this year on New Age through, uh, you know, like Life Force and Vanguard. So super excited. That is super badass especially like in such a like you know unprecedented time for a lot of bands and music scene stuff like without the lack of you know the live show aspect and the tours and stuff like it probably feels like super visceral to be like releasing music right now it's been a weird adjustment because we've had to sort of get creative with even something as silly as like content, like to put online to keep people interested because you're not playing shows. So it's, it's required some creativity in, in, you know, how we release news and you put out teasers and little pieces of information before you drop big pieces of information. So it's been a, it's been a learning curve, but I think we're adjusting. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, yeah, I, Feel like a lot like I write for the Milwaukee music scene and from what I've seen like a lot of artists and bands have had to do the same thing like there were tours booked that ended up getting canceled there were strings of shows there were records that got postponed because you know quarantine so yeah it's it is sort of like you have to regroup and find out what the hell you're going to do next but yeah. it is super exciting that you guys are you have two two projects both with new uh pieces of work yeah no and I, i'm really i'm really happy we didn't have to like push back the delay of any records or anything like um right after i moved here and joined life force we were supposed to go um on a little run and then play this fest in in um uh, which city is it in Tulsa in Tulsa called Promcore um and all that ended up getting canceled and I'm super happy like obviously uh some things got delayed with shipping and with the pressing plant being overseas and all that but um you know we didn't have to put off at least releasing music because of the quarantine and because of the pandemic yeah in fact it actually kind of lent itself to it uh with vanguard coming to be yeah honestly because of the pandemic because we had so much time on our hands that that's where the project was sort of born out of was uh josh having stuff written that he wanted to work on and approaching me about it and i was like yeah, i mean we got all the time in the world now so yeah 
exactly. I've been unemployed for five months and I've just been writing about music and uh, going on walks and, uh, you know, finding a lot of new shit to enjoy. Like, I, yeah. I think I've basked sort of in the, in the, all the time I have now to allocate to different parts of my life I didn't have before. So you got to find the silver lining. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. So um, that being said, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. Josh, we have been friends for six years. Can you yes, believe sir. that? Wild. Yeah. Josh, how did, how did we meet? How did we meet? We both, before our political radicalization, went on a birthright trip to Israel together. Kind of yes, crazy. we did. <laughs> I mean, it was like the summer of 2014, um, and I show up to the airport in Chicago to go on this birthright trip, and like, there's Ben, and then... Um, so we do that and then um, we stay in contact after we come back. And I was actually supposed to um, that fall go to DePaul University in Chicago, um, but it was too expensive. So I ended up going to uh, UW Milwaukee instead. Um, and then obviously since you know we're both Jewish, we run in all the same circles. We ended up going to all the AEPI parties together and like, you know, we really have, we've been close since then. Yes. 2014. Well, yeah, well put. So, yeah, I remember I got to the airport. It was O'Hare. And it was you and, like, maybe one other person that were there before me. But, you know, naturally what you do is you ask everyone, oh, where do you go to school? Like, what do you, like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to UWM. Like, I'm going to be a freshman. And you were like, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so, yeah. um instantly like i was like oh hell yeah well at least i'll know somebody like going into my freshman year yeah and then a year later josh left us to go to vegas i did i moved <laughs> to the desert for a half decade yes yeah you did but you still came and visited a couple times uh you did the old blow-up mattress uh in our living room i did yeah <laughs> it was a fun time <laughs> yeah yeah, but we did, um, we always bonded over music, like, we always talked, because you were one of the, like, brothers in AEPI that, like, you know, I could talk about music with, like, because you were, it was a really big part of your life, and, um, and then, like, as recently as, like, this past spring and, like, April, we had, like, an hour, two hour long FaceTime call, just catching up about, like, years worth of stuff, and it was just great to see you and, and, you know, hear about all the stuff you got going on. So, um, so I'd like to hear from, we'll start with uh, Flynn. I'd love to hear from you first about, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own background playing music. When did it become a creative outlet for yourself growing up? So um, from a really young age, my dad uh, has played in bands like my whole life. So um, when I was a little kid, his bands, he was in a few they were always like, um, like wedding, bar mitzvah, um, street fest type cover bands. So they would get hired to do um, gigs or whatever. And they would just do like four hour sets of like classic rock and country. And um, 
so I learned to play drums from, that's what my dad plays, but he always owned all the gear. So he was like the manager too. Like he had a trailer that was, it always had all the PA systems and everything. So from a really young age, when they would practice at the house, I would sit in for him. Like he would be like, I'm going to go cook dinner or whatever you sit in. And so I would, I would play with his band. I would play drums with his band from like, man, that was in like sixth grade probably. So it was pretty young. Um, and then I, I played drums semi-consistently. Like I was in jazz band and stuff for a little while. Um, in my first band, I played drums like in middle school um, that we like never even played a show, but just that sort of thing. And then um, I didn't actually get into actually playing like my own shows, booking my own things until high school. I moved to a new city, a new city in a new state. So we moved to Oklahoma City when I was in high school. And um, I hooked up with a couple of guys that were not at my school, but in my town that um, they were interested in playing music. So we first got into playing music and it was like, um, it was like radio pop punk style stuff. Um, and I'd never been exposed to hardcore, but um, at this time I was, I'd learned to play guitar poorly <laughs> and it was, uh, it was just like power chord, like punk rock type stuff. And um, did that until my uh, junior year when I got exposed to hardcore by um, the guy who, our high school had those split level lockers. And the guy whose locker was above mine was like a hardcore kid. And uh, I, he always wore throwdown shirts to school. He had like every throwdown shirt. And I remember being like, yes. yeah, right. Well, and it's now it's like looking back, I'm like, damn, I wonder what he did with all of yeah. this. <laughs> but like at the time I was like, what is this shirt that you always wear? And he was like, oh, let me tell you, you know? And he like totally converted me. And so that's why I ended up going to my own, my first, actually, I think that, I guess that wasn't my, yeah, it was junior year. Um, first hardcore show that way, ended up playing um, in like a, for that time we called it like, death metal hardcore type stuff but now like deathcore kind of existed after that and uh so it's not really the same vibe uh, as like what you would think of as deathcore but it was uh it was the first incarnation of like heavier music um we played a few out of town shows with that band in high school um but nothing no real touring and um then when I was 19, right after I'd graduated, I got hooked up with some guys that we ended up playing my first out of state show. And then through doing that, hooked up with another group of guys that I ended up actually kind of doing what my dad used to do. Like I had, I was the guy with the van and the trailer and all the gear. And I booked my first tour. I think I was, I might've been 20. Um, and from then on, I think I did um, five national tours with various groups. Um, first on guitar and then three on vocals and then um, my last one actually on drums in a grunge band which is kind of a weird little project just like for fun um, and then I moved to Texas for work after college and um, sort of didn't think I would ever play in a band again and um, one of the guys I played music with that I met in college was actually um, one of the members of Shai Halud and we just clicked because we had all the same you know uh, interests and uh, we knew a lot of the same people and um, he hit me up he ended up hitting me up in uh, like late 2017 and asking if I'd be interested in just like a studio project just something that was more for fun since he's toured like the world and uh, I've toured enough that I got it I, I said on my last tour I was like I never want to do this again like I babysat everyone the whole time and just like wasn't fun 
Um, granted, it was a grunge band, so we were playing like dive bars and it was just a completely different experience. But uh, yeah, so he hit me up and um, that, that my friend Matt Fletcher is the guy who I'm talking about. He hit me up and um, that project became Life Force. And um, we ended up recruiting members, last of which was Josh once I moved to Houston. Um, and it was sort of the same thing. The way I met Fletcher is kind of the way I met Josh. Just like we ended up having the same interests and being in the same room at the right moment and just being like, oh, we like connected really well. Like with no, you know, there was no uh, like push necessarily. Like we just became friends. So it was really easy. And so um, that's when he joined Life Force. And then with the quarantine, that's when Vanguard happened because he had all these awesome riffs written that weren't going to fit for a youth crew band. So we ended up doing uh, Vanguard with those and here we are. Awesome. Where are you originally from? So I was born and raised in Kansas, actually, in central Kansas. Oh. Uh, it's this like rural town called Great Bend. Oh, on Earth. Yeah, just middle of nowhere. Um, oh. So you can, it's, a, it's a, almost the exact geographic center of the U.S. So it's, it's like really, really close. And um, literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So uh, we moved to uh, Oklahoma City when I was in high school because my dad's job relocated us. And um, at the time I was super pissed because I was like, you know, I was like, man, I'm, in high, I'm a freshman in high school. Like, you know, I have all my skateboarding friends here. Who am I gonna skate with dad type <laughs> shit? Uh, we ended up relocating and now I'm like, oh my God. Like if we'd never relocated, like I, my life would be so different. Like I'm super thankful now, but at the time, you know, you're, 14 years old it's kind of hard to stomach moving so um i'm glad it happened though <laughs> good and awesome sure thing awesome uh josh how about yourself um i'd love to hear a little bit about your history with music and when it started for you yeah so like um my uncle has played drums since he was a little kid and i grew up really really close to him um and I always wanted to play drums. My parents weren't down with the noise, but when I was like six, they bought me a guitar and signed me up for lessons. And like, when I was like a little kid, I was kind of one of those kids who like went through a lot of phases and just none of them ever stuck. Like my parents signed me up for like T-ball and like, um, you know, martial arts lessons and all that kind of stuff. And none of it ever stuck. And then I picked up a guitar and never really put it back down. So. I took lessons from the time I was like six or seven until the time I was like 16. But I want to say um, I ended up playing in my first band when I was like 14, like freshman in high school. And it was like, it was like, like a shitty metal band. Like we were like Metallica wannabes. Um, but this was also around the time that I started getting into some music that like wasn't so mainstream and it kind of started like how Flint said with you know death metal and deathcore and that kind of stuff um and then when I was like 15 I started going to the local show here or there with like um you know some bands I guess you would consider hardcore ish like there were bands from the Chicago area like um you know like I knew the dudes in in, in bands like Barrier and Sworn In. And it wasn't so much them, but it was a lot of the bands they played with, um, like bands like Kingmaker. And then I saw like Warhound and that was kind of the start of it for me as I went to this show with, I think it was 
this band Brooks from Chicago and this band Warhound from Chicago, who still is a huge influence of mine. Um, and then when I was, I want to say it was sophomore year, 2009. So I would have been like 15. I ended up going to this show in Chicago with, um, it, it was this band Have Heart, who if you know what hardcore is, you know who Have Heart is because they're just that like seminal to the genre. Um, and then another band who I would put in the same kind of world foundation. Um, and it was one of their first like full US tours. Um, and I saw those two bands together. And from there, I just got more and more into it. I played in a lot of bands throughout high school. Um, and then when I was in college, um, I ended up joining my first like actual hardcore band when I was like 18. It was this band called Hopeless. Um, and we were just like a Lake County, Illinois band. Um, but then after that, I ended up starting Gravemind, which was the melodic hardcore band that you know, because I was in that band at the time that we became friends. Um, and then I moved to Vegas, played in a band called Misdirection for a while. Um, but then I moved to Texas and like, um, you know, it's just kind of been nonstop for pretty much my whole adult life playing in bands and playing hardcore and that kind of stuff. And made a joke to Flint about filling in for that prom course set for Life Force. And then um, Matt Fletcher, the guy he was talking about, sent me like the songs and tabs for them. And I learned them in like, two or three days and was like, hey man, do you just, do you just want to be in life for us? And I was like, sure. Um, and then we started Vanguard and here we are. Hell yeah, full circle. Um, for him joining Life Force went, um, he kind of slid into place really easily. Um, and it was like really welcome because the previous people who had occupied like the second guitar position in that band, um, it's been like a battle to keep somebody there. Um, we've actually had three um, second guitarists. All the other members have been the same since the band started. And for whatever reason, that position, we just like couldn't keep somebody. Stuff just kept coming up. And um, getting somebody who was dedicated enough to like learn the material uh, of their own volition was like the hardest part. And we basically had to continuously bother people to make sure they knew the material. And so Josh being like, yeah, I learned it. And I was like, oh, that song? And he was like, no, like the whole record, I learned it. And I was like, excuse me? And so that, that was like the whole thing that we, I talked to Fletcher and he was just like, that dude learned that stuff like really fast. Can he actually play it? And I was like, yeah, I, I think this stuff is like really, really easy for him. And so he sent us a video of him playing the stuff. Granted, never having seen tabs or anything. It was just the audio. He sent me, he sent me like, he wrote out like these, he's like, written little these shitty, shitty notes. Yeah, these super <laughs> shitty handwritten bass tags. Yeah, bass tags. Yeah. Davis, That's our, right. Davis, our bass player, who also plays in Life Force and Vanguard, that he wrote on like note paper. <laughs> yeah, um, and so he learned like the whole LP. But it's youth crew, dude. It's not. Like yeah, that. I mean, for stuff for somebody like you, like that's simple. But for like that blows my mind. Like for I'm not a guitarist, so it's like. He learned the whole thing so fast that I, I told Fletcher, I was like, maybe we should talk to this guy about joining. And then it, would, it just happened like, yeah. really fast. So, 
if there's one thing I've known about Josh for all the years we've been friends is that when he's about something, he's fucking about it. <laughs> and uh, you can count on him. So that's that's super awesome. It's that's that's adorable um for sure. Yeah. Um quarantine was right around the corner, so we've still not like it's put a huge damper on everything but neither neither of the bands have practiced since since a we've like i joined yeah. or B, we started vanguard vanguard has not had an in-person practice yet and we're releasing a record on new age this fall yeah, it's, yeah. It's all like we've had to do uh digital patchwork practicing basically and then he and i have been able to do it to get like practice vocal placement and everything together and then record it and everything. But it's been, yeah, it's like we were saying earlier, it's been a really strange adjustment to being in a band at this time. For sure. Yeah, we get that. Um, hopefully, hopefully 2021, but at the right word on who knows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because wearing masks are infringements on people's rights, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's dude. impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. for the record. The Constitution. Yeah. For the record, uh, my fiance and I just got tested and were tested negative uh, before we had Josh over. <laughs> oh, good. No, that's, that's cool. I got, I got tested last week and it came back negative. So we're awesome. all, all good over here. Hey, I'm in the same boat too. I got tested two days ago. I'm clean the fourth time. So. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. So trying to make it like a, like a two, two weeks, every two weeks or so, two, three weeks possibly. So I'm scared one of these times I'm going to go and my insurance is going to send me an EOB. Like this is the fourth time this month, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) This dude just loves getting tested so many times. Hobby for him. It's it's his only social interaction. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to see people so bad. So he's getting tested a bunch of times. Um, So, um, (laughs) so I'd love to hear a little bit about, so, um, before we talk about the bands themselves, like, I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the hardcore scene in Houston. Like, where do you guys think it's, it's at, like, how do you guys feel like, you know, like, um, cause I know you guys both aren't originally from it. So like, yeah, tell me a little bit about the scene on there. It's interesting. Um, I've, I haven't, because of moving here uh, when I did for work um, and then not long, I mean, barely a year after that, the quarantine hitting, um, I haven't had the chance to go to a ton of Houston shows. Um, And the ones that I've been to have been sort of bigger name tours. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, bigger name in hardcore, but like Terror and Eco Strike and those types of tours. And um, so it's been strange. it, for me, it's just because I'm not from here um, and experiencing uh, a new scene is always like, if you're sort of an outsider, it's sort of weird anyways. Um, Houston is sort of unique because um, the way that we're off the beaten path as far as tour routes go, um, it the scene, at least my experience with it, is um, it feels more like when I would go to shows when I was in high school, like the the way that the shows, like the people who go, and even like it goes down to like the way that people dress at the shows, it it definitely felt, um, and it's not a slight, it's just the reality. It, it just felt different and um, like it was, it sort of felt like I went a little bit back in time. And uh, it was funny because talking to, so life, when I moved here, Life Force was already on New Age. Um, so talking to uh, the people 
who were going to come here on for a life forces tour that was supposed to happen in May and it didn't, it was supposed to start here and then go North. And, um, we were really excited because we were actually going to play a show at a place where, um, it's actually not a venue. It's like a barbershop. Um, and it's a barbershop that has like a, like a small record store and like a, like a Fred Perry shop in it. Um, cause it's owned by like this skinhead dude who plays in like an oi band here. And, um, we were going to do, uh, the first stop of the tour was going to be there. And, um, just talking to him about it, I was like, I mean, do you think people would come out to that? And he was like, I mean, yeah, it's not at a bar, um, because all of the other venues in Houston are bars. And I was just like, Oh, cool. You know, it's, it was kind of cool to start that ball rolling and get something that was more in the DIY realm as opposed to bar shows. And then, uh, quarantine fucked it all up. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's something I've noticed, too, um, is, like, pretty much everywhere else I've lived, be it Vegas or be it back in the Midwest, like, there's a lot of DIY spots, VFW halls, American Legion halls, like, that's where all the shows in Vegas were booked for the most part was at, like, an American Legion hall. Um, you know, it, back in Arlington Heights, Illinois, there's, like, a KOC that they used to do shows at. All the shows in Kenosha used to happen at the Unity Lodge. Um, and it's really fucking weird being in a city where like almost every hardcore show gets booked at a bar if it's not like a big name act or like if it is a big name act like back in March I saw the Acacia Strain um, and it was at the White Oak and like a venue, venue yeah it's like a venue venue and you know you're looking at like ticket um, sales ticket sales <laughs> that are 20 I think I paid like 25 or almost 30 bucks after fees and it's not so accessible to people who like you know don't necessarily have that kind of money um you know Houston is hardcore I should start with like hardcore is kind of one of those things where um almost any city you're in it's gonna go in waves sort of yeah like um, and I think that can be said for any sort of DIY culture, which if you've never experienced any sort of DIY culture, obviously like not to be elitist because it's the farthest thing from elitism, but like, it's just a hard concept to understand when, you know, all the shows you're going to are big arena shows or shows at huge music venues with huge artists whose names draw out thousands of people. Um, you know, and, and Houston is kind of going through one of those phases right now where it's like, I wouldn't say it's in a slump, but like Flint mentioned, it's out of the way for tour routings. Um, and it's just kind of one of those places where there's not a lot of DIY culture right now in terms of like hardcore and stuff like that. Um, well, but, in reality, hardcore is a, I mean, it's a youth-based, ever since it's invasion, yeah. it's a youth-based culture. And if you don't have a youth community that is, um, actively injecting life into it, um, it will it will just sort of naturally slump. Like I said, there are um, pockets. Like there's a hardcore punk community here um, that little bit a little bit different. Obviously, immediately adjacent to like the hardcore world, um, but there is a small DIY like hardcore punk contingent here that they do like exclusively house shows. Um, but again it's not the same, it's not the same type of music and it, it's not the same exact type of, um, like ethos, I guess is the way to put it. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different than yeah, the like, national like, hardcore scene. Like I went to one of those punk 
house shows. And it was really cool, but like, you know, it's definitely an environment you don't really see it like a hardcore show. Like, um, there was like a, a keg of beer and yeah, yeah. like, you know, everybody pays $5 at the door and like, obviously Flint and I don't drink, but like your $5 covers your like alcohol or whatever. And the music is a little bit different, but like, you know, there are a good number of like hardcore kids from Houston and they're all super nice, super cool kids. It's just, I think one of the things we're missing here in Houston right now is a DIY space where we can book bands that don't necessarily call for a venue the size of the White Oak or the size of, uh, what's, what's the other place? Um, the, the comedy club. Um, oh, um, it's where we saw Terror. Uh, I don't know. I there's this like comedy club they have here where they have like a big stage and they book like bigger packages there sometimes. Um, there but, used to be a pretty thriving um, hardcore scene here that was tied to bands that were sort of of like the last generation of of hardcore kids here in Houston, and um, uh, they, like I was saying earlier, they injected life into the genre here in the city. So they had their own DIY space that was thriving. And I remember actually, so you're talking about Walters. Yeah. Okay. So when I was uh, booking tours from Oklahoma city and we would drop South, it was always, can we get a show at Walters? And if not, then we'll go to San Antonio type type attitude because it was like Walters would have been the spot to play, but it was the shows there were always like renowned as really, really good. And um, all, a lot of those guys are still in, in Houston, but it's like a natural progression. You know, they have families and like, quote unquote, real jobs now and everything. So it's like they graduate on and the youth culture has to sort of replace them. And um, in, in Dallas, um, as a comparison, um, there was a, a really fantastic DIY spot in DFW. Um, it was actually in Fort Worth, technically. And um, it got shut down when uh, the alt-right did that whole like online campaign where they reported a bunch of uh, like openly leftist DIY spaces around the country. Um, they, there was this huge um, alt-right campaign. I think it was based on 4chan that shut down like a thousand venues. Of course it was, of course it was 4chan. Yeah, and um, that, unfortunately that spot was, it fell victim to that. And um, they, yeah, right. Um, and it, I mean, they should be happy to hear this because they were successful, right? Like yeah. their job, they did their job that they were trying to do. It, it shut the venue down. Fucking shit. And uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, replacement venue actually ended up being one of the guys who, who booked there and played shows in Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, his parents own an art gallery and, um, and it, it, they do art classes, it's like a youth center art gallery. And they ended up um, getting a larger space and turning that into a replacement DIY space that in and of itself has like created and generated more new bands and younger kids that have gotten them all into the genre. And um, it's been super healthy for the scene there and like grown the scene a lot. Um, and unfortunately due to the nature of the scene here and then uh, realistically due to, uh, I think real estate costs here are, are pretty insane right now. Um, and just from like shopping for places to live here, you can just look at the prices and just be like, Jesus. And uh, I think that probably has a lot to do with it is that it's a lot harder to have a DIY space that runs off of, you know, donation when you can't fucking afford a building, so. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like, um, 
it just happens, but Flint and his fiance and Har his fiance Harley and I um, have talked about maybe trying to book shows when all of this pandemic is over. So yeah, of course, um, when we started talking about that idea, there is a spot here where you can basically you kick the sound guy like seventy five bucks, and you can rent like this. It is a bar, but it's like a bar with like an attached room that has like a large show area. And um, you can book shows there. And uh, we all three, when we first became friends with Josh, we were like, we should book shows. You know, we should do like a little collective where we start booking shows and we bring tours here. And it was like COVID. COVID. Like right when we started having it, I was like, fuck. But so hopefully that survives the pandemic and we can do that. But Houston Hardcore Kids, if you're listening to this podcast episode for whatever reason and you have a garage we can use right. or you know another space we can use, like please hit us up. Like we're not trying to slight Houston hardcore. We love Houston. Um, we just need a place to book shows and that's an objective fact. Otherwise yeah. like yeah. You know, implants, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's hard, to have, it a, it's hard to have a hardcore scene when you're limited on venues. Yeah. 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 And Milwaukee struggled with that a lot too, for a while. Like um, I know there used to be a lot of, uh, DIY venues or all ages venues here even but a lot of them ended up getting shut down for a while and then for a while there was just like Josh you know JJ's like he was like one of the only ones that was doing like the hardcore shows but luckily last year the X Barricade opened so yeah well and JJ still um up until the pandemic started was booking shows and I'm I'm if there is one thing JJ Kaiser loves, it's hardcore, and I, I know he'll be booking shows at yeah. JJ's Bar and Grill, which is the the, the lovely name for his basement. Um, yeah. I would love to go to a show there at some point. I still haven't made it to one there. Um, you know, I'm sure as soon as the pandemic goes away and it's safe to have shows again, he's going to book shows at his house again. Um, is the Borg Ward still around? But no, the Borg Ward shut down in, oh my God, what year was the last Borg Ward show? 2016? Really? That sucks. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. 2016 or 2017. Um, but man, that was a fun place. Yeah, that venue was played great. quite a few shows at the Borg Ward. That's where, oh. we, that's where we used to play when I was booking Milwaukee. Um, oh, tight. I was going to ask you, Flint, if you've been up here. Um, yeah, we played there, and then we played... Um, it was a Knights of Columbus Hall outside of Chicago. Arlington Heights. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that was, we played a couple shows up in that part of the world. Um, but it was all, all the tours that I did, it was, we didn't use a booking agent. I, I booked everything. And um, so it was, it's, when that happens, uh, and especially, I'm showing my age, but at that time it was, all done like over the phone and we like fucking <laughs> did map quest directions like oh right right yeah like, the only gps i had on any of those tours was like the fourth and fifth tour um because before that like gps didn't fucking exist the, the, difference, <laughs> the difference between 26 and 32 is i never had to use map quest on a tour yeah map quest just reminds me of 2008 <laughs> yeah, straight up i mean that was that was when it was yeah so yeah yeah printing them off and we would have like this nice you know organized folder of okay our shows on the fourth night we have to use the directions to phoenix you know like Paul, yeah, yeah. Really, it was very strange so but because of that it's like i don't have a digital record of any of that shit so it's like i know it was near chicago but yeah, i don't like yeah, i don't remember yeah. what it was called so yeah so you fellas are um so you're straight edge vegan hardcore right 
So well, it's interesting because one project is sort of dedicatedly about veganism. So Vanguard and, you know, everyone in the band is vegan and leftist and, and we all subscribe to the same system of beliefs and morals. But the project was kind of started with the explicit goals of, of furthering those messages specifically. And then uh, Life Force is, is sort of a more broad um, like message base. Um, and it was, it was started specifically as a straight edge band, but explicitly not vegan because not all the members are vegan. Um, so it's sort of like the two like fill the gaps. Like, yeah, that, like that we kind of have both worlds yes. for our two projects. Yeah, so it's, kind, it's um, kind of interesting. Totally, I see. Okay, that that would make sense. All right, um, because when I was listening to that, to the um, Vanguard EP coming out, um, the opening track. I mean, wow, like that's some really intense shit. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so I guess we can really start talking about that. So I guess, like, in terms of, like, the themes on this record and the themes, like, that the band is is conveying, um, like, right now in itself, like, I'd love to hear about, we'll start with the Vanguard project, like, what, like, this project is about, like, the messages you guys are getting across, and also just a little bit about the recording process. So yeah, um, Vanguard is explicitly, like Flint said, a band dedicated to the messages of veganism and leftism. Um, you know, those sets of beliefs are huge, possibly the, the, the two most steadfastly held sets of beliefs in, in at least my life and I know Flint's life. Um, Vanguard is about spreading the message of, you know, not only being vegan for oneself, being vegan for the world, being vegan for the animals, being vegan for the planet, um, as well as espousing leftist ideals against racism, against sexism, classism, um, homophobia, it, pushing for social equity and pushing for social equality, class equality, racial equality, um, by any means necessary. Like, um, you know, I don't, God, I don't even know how to like put this succinctly. Um, well, I mean, the whole goals know, when we talked about it from the very beginning was like, he showed me, um, like riffs, but I mean, at that point it's just music, right? Yeah. And so it was like, then we started conceptualizing well, what would we want to convey with this product? Because we're already in a band that's like established and, you know, has played shows around the country and has this LP coming out on like this historic label. Um, so how do we conceptualize a project that sets itself apart from that? And um, to be completely honest with Vanguard, I can be a little, as the vocalist, I can be a little meaner than I can in Life Force. Um, and it, there are several reasons for that. But in, when I started Life Force, it was, I was in a, a lot darker place in my life where there were things that I felt I needed to hear personally and that needed to be said to the other people in the scene um, that were a lot more uplifting um, and with the goals uh, specifically of you know, self-improvement and encouragement 
And while I still subscribe to all those beliefs and I still, I still sing those words on stage for a reason. And I still have those convictions. Um, you know, life isn't all, you know, happy, positivity, rainbows and butterflies type attitudes all the time. There are things in the world that are fucked that it's worth talking about and that it's worth uh, writing about and speaking about on stage. And so when he and I connected, um, one of the things that we connected on was like our connection to socialist beliefs and butting into politics at a time in our generation where I think you do see a lot more people who are our age and, and definitely younger that um, are radicalized just by virtue of existing in a time of political strife. And um, that was sort of something that we struck a chord with together as friends. And we realized that, well, we could, we could work that into the message of the band. And then with both of us, you know, subscribing to vegan beliefs and wanting to further that message, those two sort of go hand in hand um, with every other uh, uh, social movement that's happening right now. Um, it's all intersectional for us. So if we can have this intersectional message that you know addresses everything tied to class struggle which is all of the aforementioned things and everything that that ties to human and animal liberation which is everything that we just mentioned it all sort of intertwines really easily so i think that was it did fall into place a lot more naturally than you you know we weren't we weren't listing isms yeah, on, like, on we like, a, really like a piece of notebook paper you no, know it, it was easy for us to to sort of fall into the message because those are the those are the morals that we live personally already. So it was yeah, simple. Yeah, and for I, us I think a lot of hardcore bands will put out, and this isn't a call out of anybody specifically, but it just seems like a lot of hardcore bands put out, you know, one song with some vanilla anti-racist lyrics or anti-sexist or or, or anti-police lyrics and call it a day and like you know, the whole point of Vanguard is we are what we espouse. Um, and I can write the coolest riff in the world, or I can, you know, put together a song that I think is awesome. But the entire point of this band is to push our message and to create a discourse around veganism and around socialism, socialist beliefs, and, and creating change um, actively rather than just writing a song and saying well that's enough activism yeah exactly yeah like passive act passive activism or keyboard activism or you know there's like this running gag of like the hardcore punk vocalist that gets on stage and shouts a lot of things between songs that everyone in the room already agrees with yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're like, not cool, really, yeah. you know, you're not really breaking any barriers. Yeah. It's crowd. like when they scream, like, fuck ice. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we all, like, that's like, why we came. <laughs> you like, look around yeah. and you're like, like yeah, we all yeah, agree. We, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's almost, uh, also, I want to mention, like, it's almost, it's honestly an oxymoron when you say, like, passive activism. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, it's an oxymoron. I'm, so, for one, I'm, Glad to hear all those, um, all those insights because I am a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, so solidarity. Um, and you, like, I love what you guys said, like about how, like, um, you sort of like own that you're you're actively aware of like that complicity. And 
recognizing that being a leftist isn't an option. You know, it's our duty. It's our obligation as good human beings. And like, we are going to be undoing complicity and fighting for racial, social, political equity for other marginalized groups and those that are affected by U.S. imperialism for the rest of our entire lives. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be. There's so much atrocities going on that we're going to be doing it for the rest of our lives. And like, I want, I want revolution. I don't want a fucking vote blue, no matter who liberal to tell me to vote for Joe Biden. So, so they can put body cameras on the cops and ensure they don't turn them off rather than dismantling the racist system. That is the police itself. Like I want revolution and I want those systems of oppression dismantled and I'm never going to stop fighting for that. That's right. I saw a fantastic quote actually today. I, I don't remember what I was doing. I'm sure it was on Twitter. But there was a quote that was like, uh, radicalization of the youth in America to the extreme left-hand end of the spectrum uh, is not a destination. It was, uh, it's a, uh, a logical inevitability because of the way that our system functions today. Yes. And I, I think it's, that's exactly basically what you were just saying is that it's like, I, I know that I have being from where I'm from and being raised in the family I was raised in and exposed to the systems that I was exposed to uh, systems of belief uh, as a kid, there is no reason why I would ever be where I am politically, uh, realistically. I mean, there's no, there's no way to expect that um, except for the fact that it is basically an inevitability at this point. Like I I grew up in BF Egypt, Wisconsin. Right. Yeah. Thought I'd be an outspoken communist yeah. coming from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like in in Oklahoma, like I moved from I moved from rural Kansas to rural Oklahoma, and then from rural Oklahoma, which is the statistically the most conservative state in the country, uh, to what's known as the reddest of red states, to Texas. So it's like in in all in all uh, accounts, none of that in and of itself is a, is a process towards radicalization. Like it's not, it's not a, a hotbed for this type of thinking. And it's because you don't need a hotbed at this point. You just have to have a functioning brain and two eyes to read the news. And yeah, that's right. <laughs> like it, it literally baffles me that there's anybody between the ages of, you know, let's go with the voting baseline, even though I, I don't necessarily agree with electoralism. Um, it blows my mind that there's anybody between the ages of, of 18 and probably 45 at this point who can self-identify as a conservative and go to sleep at, at night thinking that they're a good person. Well, I mean, what's the oldest, what's the oldest age that's still considered millennial? Is it, was it born in 82? Um, I think so, yeah. Like 80, 80 or 82, that general area. So like that, so you know, our generation, that whole generation, when I meet somebody who is like, so when I was in school, you know, you would meet like the young Republicans on campus. Yeah. I would always be like, like, are you fucking with us? Really? Like, is this a, like, is it a toll of some sort? Like, is it, or are, because they're so, it seems so ludicrous. living through the things that we've lived like we're three recessions deep into our adulthood and 
how are there still uh, it blows my mind that the, that there are still people who will yeah. openly subscribe to that right people that are actively apologists for exploitation yeah like how can you how can you fall asleep at night or and not, believe even not even apologists but endorse it like yeah only endorse it like yeah. in 26 and have lived through three recessions i mean it's it's ridiculous um that this like there's this dude i went to college with who is probably the biggest trump supporter i know and i it baffles me because he's you know an a pie brother and it's this dude i know who's also like jewish like trump isn't an active endorser of organizations who blatantly stand for anti-semitism at a baseline um no, they're not you even know, dog whistles anymore yeah it's, it's really it really is just flat yeah. saying you know the kkk are great people they love me yeah. um it's crazy. yeah literally um, literally how do you support an economic system which clearly does nothing to benefit you um yeah. well i mean because I, and i hate to say it because your daddy's rich and, and it's yeah this is a term we've been using in uh, psl circles is political stockholm syndrome yeah that's yeah. what i was about to say is that yeah. it, again this gets us back to the intersectionality of what the whole message for the band is is that it's a very very similar um mentality that people who um so there are people who know nothing about veganism who and I, I used to be one and they have no exposure to the lifestyle they have no exposure to the literally the politics involved let alone the morals involved like they're just they're they're unexposed and those aren't the people that i'm talking about because they're you live in blissful ignorance and I lived in blissful ignorance and I had no idea that what was going on, but there are other people who they are aware and they're, they're openly vindictively non-vegan, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and those are a lot of times, weirdly, the Venn diagram of those people and the people who are this Stockholm syndrome conservative are it's basically a perfect circle. circle they're always the same people and it's it's always this same type of um this this mentality of um a not only do i feel threatened by something different and and foreign but uh if you're threatening a system that i feel i've subscribed to or at least i should subscribe to my whole life then you're threatening my ability to better or uh, to raise my standing within that system. And it's, that's what's so strange about people who are so blatantly pro-capitalist that have no capital and who have only, <laughs> who, have, who have only been victimized by capitalism, but they're hyper pro-capitalist. And I'm like, you understand that the system is also hurting you. It's yeah. benefited you in any real way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Saying, even if you're not vegan, at, or, or I guess we'll say, even if you're not vegan yet, which is that my hope is that if you're, if you get far enough into those, the social justice circles, you start realizing like, oh shit, this, it's sort of like the, uh, the international workers of the world. It's like, you start realizing like, oh shit, like all these struggles are the same struggle. It's just, you have to, you have to eventually get the right song played for you, which was what happened to me, or you have to get the right pamphlet or the right yeah. person to sit down with you and and sort of talk about these things which is all of those all of the above is exactly like what we're trying to do 
with Vanguard is that we're trying to get that information not to guilt, you know, meat eaters um, per se, and not to, uh, you know, wave a flag of like, uh, you know, virtue signaling to, yeah. oh, look at, look at all of our isms on this list. Like we match, you know, we're, we're really, you know, more righteous than the next group. Like that's not the point. Yeah. The point is if we can get the message in front of the right people, if one person decides to go vegan from this band, like I'm good. Like that's, yeah, that will that's, be a success story in my book. That is infinitely more important to me than, than any song we could ever release. Like the choice people make beyond themselves to go vegan. Yeah, totally. I, and I appreciate like what you guys are um, specifying, like the, you know, the, the industry as its own, you know, category of like oppression, pr- oppre- yeah, oppressive system. Um, because it's like, like I said, like even if you, like I said, like even if you, someone isn't vegan yet, you know, they can still recognize that like there's so much that's fucking wrong with it, how we're treating these, you know, social animals and animals that have, you know, intelligent relationships with one another and that, you know, should be treated with that equity. Um, and uh, like that, that is a perspective that, you know, I'm not used to hearing, so. But I think, I mean, realistically, I think that if I hadn't, not to go back to what we were talking about earlier, but Oklahoma City is a is the scene there for the punk scene specifically, which you know ties into the different metal and hardcore and punk scenes that all sort of uh, orbit that uh, that world, that DIY world in that city. It it is um, you know I have to give credit where credit is due. Like I wouldn't have been exposed to any of the things I am if I hadn't been exposed to a plethora of radical ideas you know by going to an info shop for a show where a band from dc is playing and they have a lending library and they have a a literature distro and they have a record distro and there's crime think posters on the wall like those things are in invaluable to a, a kid who you otherwise you're just not exposed to that information and especially in texas when your fucking school books are decided upon by a school board that has very little interest in teaching you anything that you should know. And that is that getting that information in front of kids is, is like literal kids, like children is, is so crucial. And I think that there's a lot of um, like masturbatory practices in the music scene of like virtue signaling and proving, um, uh, you know, look how radical I am or look how, X insert X belief system I am than everyone else type thing to where it becomes an echo chamber, obviously, where nobody is spreading outside of the circle that which they already inhabit. And that's something that I think that it really has languished quite a bit and especially in modern hardcore is that things have the music is awesome and, and there are bands with fantastic messages, of course, because they're in this world they're never gonna go away. But the prevalence of message first mentality has languished a lot and i and i think that for both bands for life force and new age or life force and vanguard on new age we're trying to um embody that older mentality 
um, that bands that were on New Age before us and other labels, um, so they did so well was expressing a message that go went alongside with music that was written really well and by people who are a lot better at instruments than I am, but that can that can it can be a um, a vessel for something greater than just okay we went to a venue and we nodded our heads for forty minutes and now we're gonna go home like there's a lot more value to be had than than just the the musical aspect. Yeah, and I mean, I think that that rings for Life Force especially. I mean, yeah. shit, man. It had been a hot minute. Um, you know, I saw Life Force for the first time in February, and this was before I joined the band. This was like the week after I moved here. Um, I ended up driving up to Dallas with a couple of our other buddies, oh, yeah. uh, Jared and Yaid. And, you know, I think like that was one of the first times um, Flint and I really connected. Um, and I spent the whole next week texting him about how, man, this is like the first time I actually went to a show and saw a band and it really like made me feel something and think, um, you know, about things that are not, you know, just going to the show and just having fun and moshing. And <laughs> yeah. like, um, it was really cool. And, and things that are fun, like those, there's know, nothing wrong with going not to the at show. All. No, and like a good riff and I love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I love I love when Life Force plays out front and somebody does the other part and I watch Flint Mosh to his own band. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it it's really a breath of fresh air um to see something like that and now to be a part of two bands who are trying to make that a thing again. Um and I would love to see more than that. I hope I hope to God young kids start making bands and start trying to, to make message forward music again, because that's the shit that's really cool at the end of the day. And it's the stuff that has the staying power. Like you don't, there were plenty of bands in the same era that were arguably just as good, if not better than insert name of like Earth Crisis. Yeah. So you, in the, in the hardcore scene in New York at the time Earth Crisis was active, I mean, how many fucking bands were playing metallic hardcore in the mid nineties in that world? Like tons and tons of them, but the staying power of earth crisis is based around the effectiveness of their message and how it literally can echo regardless of which generation of person is listening to it. It holds true for whoever hears it. And that's the, that's sort of the, the mentality that we're trying to emulate. And as an example, like you were saying about a show um, when we, we went and played a show, a fest in um, Missouri, and this dude drove to the show from Indiana and um, watched us play. And um, I'm afterwards, like after our sets, like I'm completely worn out and I'm just like collapsed behind the merch booth, like trying to breathe and not be old. And uh, he came over and he was like, um, I'm so excited I got to see you guys. I need to get like the smallest size shirt you have and a record. Um, and this dude, he's like a bigger dude. And I was like the smallest size. And he's like, yeah, um, I wanted to come get a shirt and a record for my kid because I think it's important that he hears your message. And I was just like, cool. Like I could quit tomorrow. Like that's it for me. Like that's yeah, what I, that's dude. it. And it's like, that, that blows my mind because it's like, and so that type of feeling is exactly what we're going for with Vanguard just for, you know, different messages, honestly, is that, then that's why I'm glad that we were able to start it, is that if we can get someone that comes up to us and says, you know, like, 
I'm vegan because I heard your songs. I'm going to be like, awesome. The meteor can hit tomorrow because that's so apocalypse could be nigh. Yeah, exactly. We did our job. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't remember what track it was, but there's one lyric about like a corpse on a plate. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that'll make you look down at your plate a lot differently yeah um and that's you know that's like where for me it started like obviously looking back at how i went vegan some of it goes back to like hearing earth crisis for the first time or hearing ritual by seventh generations for the first time um but you know that's one of the things that got to me is like the idea of like looking down at what I'm eating and realizing that that's a piece that's not, you know, it's not a food item for me. That's a yeah. piece of a rotting corpse of a once sentient creature who probably had a best friend. Like, you know, cows have best friends and that's not, I'm not trying to get on some corny shit here, but like, um, that's deeper than myself. And that's not for my, selfish consumption well it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is the social conditioning it and marketing especially in this country it's a very intentional misdirection it's very it's very and it ties back into everything that we were just talking about the capitalist system that prioritizes the almighty dollar above anything else and if your almighty dollar comes from people who want to pay money for your cheese products you're not going to put some scary message and scary image on the label. You're going to put a smiling cartoon cow, you know, that yeah. and that impresses on yeah. things called happy meals. And, and it, yeah, like I, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? Or, oh, I'm just saying that, it, that that's a conditioning that we, you experience, everybody experiences or most people. Of course, as I'm saying this, uh, my fiance is in the next room who was like raised vegetarian and she's like, not me, you know what I mean? <laughs> like raised vegetarian and was raised by like a conscious parent that was very aware of those things. And, um, and but I think for the most part, the, the truth is that uh, we, it's no one's, if you're not aware of it, it's not your fault, but once you are aware of it, it does become your responsibility. And that's the same, that's the same thing that can be said for social justice issues is that if you're not aware of it and you're conditioned to believe something from your very young age, that can't be put on your shoulders. But once you've been made aware of something and you're aware of exactly the impact you are having, that then it does become your response. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, like exactly what you're saying. You're never these these concepts, this I feel like that's why they're they're confronted with so much hostility and aggression when they're presented to people that we're never taught to question like you know there's another lifestyle that is like that doesn't cause this form of that isn't complicit in this form of oppression or doesn't you know take advantage of animals or prison labor or this or that zoom further out than that just that makes me uncomfortable yeah, yeah. And, and that's the basis for me was that I, when before I was vegan, I, there was a whole crew of vegan straight edge dudes that played music in the town that I went to college in. And at their shows, they would have they would have information, they would have literature, they would say things on stage. 
that I would like openly ridicule. And, and I was like the anti-vegan asshole that was like, I'll eat two burgers for you tonight. Dick. Because you it know, makes you uncomfortable. Because, it, because yeah. having yeah. your beliefs, like I've learned that having your belief systems challenged is a really fucking hard yeah. thing. Like, yeah. it, it's, it, it is. And that's, you know, like, especially for people who don't know, I can't fault them necessarily for being the way you were, being no. the way that I was. Like, Which, I mean, the thing is, like, I eventually... I came to the realization of what I was uncomfortable about and I was still stubborn about changing it. Like, I mean, I was still like with giving, being given the information blatantly by this other vegan band, shout out the guys and girls and people in unrest. Um, They were a a vegan straight edge band in Norman, Oklahoma. And I, I mean, my, I did not get along with them like openly. And I mean, we would have like problems on a personal level because I was uncomfortable with their message, whether it was their political message or their vegan message, it challenged my belief system at the time. And I, I didn't like it. I mean, I was uncomfortable. And so I, I would lash out at them as people and as a band. And it now looking back, I'm like, damn, that's fucking embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> that was like a necessary step in my growth. And now, yeah. I can look back and be like, well, you know, if people balk at the message that Vanguard is bringing, which we have, we've like already gotten like hate mail. (laughs) I love it. I love love opening up the Instagram DMs to somebody being, somebody being a dick. Well, that's, that's, that's comparable to like when we as Jews, you know, like when we're taught to like subscribe to Zionism our whole lives. And then when we start questioning it, and we're like, oh, maybe I don't agree with these things that, you know, Israel and, and Netanyahu's government are doing. And then we're like, oh, well, look at you, the self-hating Jew. You know, it's like. Absolutely. Like, and, you know, like, I wouldn't necessarily like draw a line between that and veganism. But like the thought processes we go through are really, really similar things. Like, yeah, it's um, where you're taught because it's it was so normalized to not question it you know no for sure and that's like you know an experience that i think you and i can both speak upon is like um as a jewish person growing up like it the 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 political indoctrination surrounding support for israel starts at a really young age like i think i was like probably six or seven the first time I experienced something of that nature. And I didn't grow up doing all the things you did. You know, I didn't grow up with access to like BBYO or, or Nifty or any youth groups like that even. And I still experienced it from a really young age up until the last couple of years. Like, um, and now if I even try to have a conversation with, somebody I know who is vehemently pro-Israel, like, about, you know, like, hey, maybe imperialism is a bad thing, and maybe Palestinians should have autonomy, like, like you said, I become the self-hating Jew. Yeah, right. That's not it at all. Yeah, exactly. You guys will get some enjoyment out of this. I haven't even told you this yet. Um, One of my friends here in Houston, and my my, uh, trainer is Jewish, and was raised Jewish, and he, uh, he still goes on those youth retreats um, with kids from his synagogue, even though he doesn't go to synagogue, but he still gets invited to go because he's like a, he'll be like an acting, um, what's the word for the adults that go on those types of trips? Like a chaperone, like 
oh yeah as a chaperone on these like you my is the is the is the hebrew okay okay so he'll he'll go and um he uses those as opportunities he's like if if i can sit down in a cafe with one or two of those kids on every one of those trips and have these conversations while we're in Israel and we can see the results of what we're talking about. He's like, it's like every trip I just get a few more. And he's like, so I, I, he like makes a point of it. And I'm like, damn, like that's, that's a world I'm not familiar with. So I'm just like, respect. Like that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like, and that's the thing is it is a very long and personal journey to like unpack and unlearn things like that. And it, it all goes back to like how, you know, when you're confronted with this new information, that's basically the antithesis of like what you led to believe, you know, like growing up, like I was taught, yeah, capitalism's good, communism's bad. I was taught, you know, I didn't know what a vegan was until I was maybe 16, 17, maybe like, and even when I learned about it first, I thought it was this obscure practice that, you know, yeah. doesn't have a lot of cultural recognition. Um, you know, and naturally you just, yeah, you, you uh, react with like you laugh it off or you think it's just like illogical irrational and now it's like where we're at now it's like um we're at the point where i mean you guys are you know leftists and as am i and it's like now we can recognize not only dismantling you know all those systems but also making distinctions between things like reform and abolition yeah no like and it's like uh the classic reformist like mindset which goes very hand in hand with classic liberal mindsets that that even after i made a break from a conservative upbringing and i thought i was really on the cusp of the breaking edge by (laughs) be uh, signing up to be in the democratic party you know what i mean and i'm like oh shit you know and it's this this reformist mindset of incrementalism is the way to go you know little tiny changes that that'll be what really pushes the ball forward and and you start realizing that it's like oh shit as we start making little teeny tiny concessions and everyone does start moving more and more to the center like official theory is a fucking thing like eventually those incremental changes you start recognizing them for what they are is it's like you start making compromises in your belief system and eventually your belief system has been completely commodified and doesn't represent what it was supposed to in the first place. Yeah. 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 And that right there has just like been the most transformative, like mind blowing, like revolutionary peace of mind you have. Like when you become radicalized, you're like, there are alternatives to everything that we believe is unethical, immoral, or just, wrong in this life like a breath of fresh air when you get to that yeah. like oh there's an alternative like thank yeah. god like this feeling of like yeah. finally yeah like i can so, sleep at night <laughs> yeah right so um i want to talk a little bit about the new life force project we haven't really talked about that yet so i'd love to hear a little bit about what uh you guys are going with there um Flint, that's your yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh the first release that we did, that Life Force did, um, we did it, like I was saying, it was sort of a, it was supposed to just be like a pet project, supposed to be like a hobby. 
Um, and it was at a time in my life when I like, I really needed like a cre the creative outlet to just to be able to sit and write. And, um, I was in therapy at the time. And one of the, uh, exercises that my therapist recommended was these, um, letters to yourself. Um, you literally sit down and handwrite, um, the things that you need to hear that maybe you're not getting elsewhere. And, um, those lyrics became the lyrics for the first Life Force demo. Um, those letters, rather, those letters became the lyrics for the first Life Force demo. And um, that sort of um, self-empowerment and, and uh, uh, positive message that uh, it can still be, you can still be coming from a place of anger. And, and if you're angry for the right reasons, it can be a positive thing. And um, that's been like the ethos of the project from the very beginning. So the, that first demo we did, uh, it, we got approached by uh, a label, a little DIY uh, cassette label out of California that was like, hey, we want to put your demo out. And we were like, oh, shit, that was, we, we literally didn't, we didn't shop it really. I mean, it was just like we'd shared it with friends and they were like, hey, we want to put that out. And we were like, oh, wow, thanks. You know, yeah, for sure. So we put out this cassette and then the cassette comes out and we immediately get approached by uh, the, the label that put our seven inch out, they're called Blind Rage Records. Um, they contacted us and, hey, let us put your next release out on a record. And it was, again, it was sort of one of those things that we were like, well, all right. You know what I mean? Like it, was, it, was, it wasn't like we were, like, like I said, we'd, we'd all played music before. So we weren't trying to like turn it into something that we weren't looking for. I mean, it was like our hobby was gaining steam and it was really, it was doing it super organically without a bunch of effort. And uh, then that's exactly what happened with this release that's about to come out is that we put that seven inch out and um, literally uh, two weeks before the release show for that seven inch. So, I mean, the seven inch wasn't even on the street yet. And um, we got approached by New Age Records to join the New Age roster. And we literally couldn't even announce that we joined the roster because our previous release hadn't even hit the street yet, which, so it was like, again, it was sort of this like falling, it was, it was super, super natural and not to like trivialize people who are really trying to, you know, like we really want to find a label and we're really trying to find a label. Like, I mean, that struggle is real. And it's like, I've been Absolutely. there and it shit sucks. Like I've been there myself, but it's it with this project, it's just been like so easy. And I think it's because of what we've been talking about that, the that when your message resonates and when people hear what you say, even if they're not necessarily like, you know, like, yeah, I could, I don't really care about like judge and uniform choice and chain of strength. Those aren't really bands that I care about, but if the message resonates hard enough, they might be like, but I can get down with that life force band. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like, it, well, and you're also a really like, not to blow up your ego here, but you're a really good lyricist. <laughs> and like, there's like, there are a lot of straight edge bands out there that that's, all they talk about right. um, in a very, very blatant way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bands who fit that bill that I absolutely fucking love. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the Life Force discography thus far is relatable on like a way deeper Personal level. Than level that. You yeah. know, like well, when I, I moved to Houston, I was going through some shit. And yeah. You know that. And like, um, I really resonated with the Life Force discography and like well, that's some, the I new mean, song you're trying to write, We Are One, is very not just a blatant militant straight edge song. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about 
life force like you were the perfect like target demo because it's like if you're struggling like these li the lyrics should speak to you because when i wrote them i was struggling with similar shit you know and it's like that's been my goal all along as 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 the lyricist and and sort of conceptualizing like the message and whatnot is it's um i don't say straight edge in any of the songs because like, I mean, if I want to listen to really blatantly straight edge music that is only about that single issue, like there are a million options, you know, it, it's like they're- I'll listen to Judge, bro. Right, yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to be able to write the Project X seven inch as good as Project X did. So why would I try? Like that's their, that's their shtick, you know? It's and it's like, oh. It's part of the band's identity, but it's not the focal point. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's like, in my opinion, as you know, a 30 something and as somebody in their 20s and as somebody in their teens, if you're living this like uh, one dimensional lifestyle, like odds are we probably won't resonate with you. Like if all you care about is this one thing, if you're the equivalent of a single issue voter, but in the music world, it's not going to resonate because it's like, you know, you're you're obviously going to be focused on that one thing. And if we're not hitting that for you, you're going to move on, which is fine. But I think the majority of people that listen to music and that are involved in politics, involved in social uh, movements is that, well, I don't think most people are single issue people and have single issue belief systems or single issue emotions. So it's like, I think it appeals to people in a way that a lot of hardcore sort of misses. Um, and it's, and it, Came, we just came by it naturally because it was uh, something that I needed at the time that I, I didn't really mean for it to be something for anyone but myself. Um, and it was funny when Fletcher and I were talking about when we were conceptualizing the band, um, I wrote a lot of the lyrics. Um, they were a lot of I and me type subjects uh, within a lot of it because I was writing about myself. And, and um, I asked him, I was like, do you think that when we change these letters into lyrics, like, do you think that we should change it to we and like us? And he was like, no, I think leave it that way because that will resonate with the kid who's, you know, his dad's in the next room beating on his mom and, you know, he's goes to school in rural Texas, you know, and he's dealing with a lot of these issues that are, that are causing him his own mental anguish reading something about I and me is going to resonate stronger with that kid who needs to hear that than we and us. He, he may not have a we and us or she may not, you know, if you're, if you're a person who's dealing with the struggles that women deal with on a daily basis, reading something that's, that's talking about like, you know, brotherhood of struggle and these types of things, it's like, well, that's exclusionary, isn't it? So like, why not make it a personal message that can be applied to any yeah. human being? you know, not just one individual type person. Dude, I, man, I don't need, like, I don't even know what to say, like, with how much that resonates. Like, I'm, I've actually, I'm in the middle of um, unpacking some trauma right now in therapy. And uh, as, like, I feel like I've almost dealt with, like, micro traumas based on things I never heard you know, that I've needed to hear my whole life. And like something as simple as like, I love you from a family member, a close yeah. family member that I never have heard to this day. And like, it's, 
you become self-destructive based on the things that you were deprived of. Yeah. And it's, it's all, it's nightmarish to unpack. And I think that, you know, I, I'm really happy. I, I feel like I already relate to that so much. So I appreciate the fact that like you're sharing that. Um, it's, it's like, and like you said, you know, it's something that can be applicable to somebody in any situation where they were, they were not granted closure or that they were abandoned or otherwise just like, you know, victimized, disregarded. Um, that stuff is like, it's just so like visceral on a level. Like it's, it's kind of hard to like articulate, but yeah, I, so I'm on a personal level. Like I think that, I think I'm going to go back and listen to that again after I, uh, after we're done here, because I want to hear kind of like what you had to say there. Well, and that's the, so that's where the name for the new record, um, Hope and Defiance for the LP, um, I, in one of the new songs, um, so we haven't dropped all the new tracks off of the LP yet because it's not here. Um, we're still waiting on it to get here from the pressing plant overseas. And so we want to do like a coordinated drop. So we want all the songs to drop at the same time that somebody can actually have the record. Um, so we released a couple singles off of it, but nothing, not of none of the, um, not the full track listing. And um, in one of the songs, um, it, it talks about that, um, instead of a message of hope and defiance from the people that should be sharing those messages, um, all we're getting is this like tough, dumb, deaf silence. Like it's this, it's this culture of, well, I'll bury my feelings and I'll bury my traumas and I'll bury my growth under this veneer of, I'll just go to a hardcore show and beat the shit out of everyone there. And it's like, sure maybe that's constructive to a point of like you get an outlet and if everybody there is on the same page and we're all good with that, then that can be constructive. But if that's all we're getting and we don't have bands and people and friends and, and people writing, uh, you know, whether it's like zines or, or posts on fucking Facebook, like if you don't have somebody that's offering those messages of, of like hope and defiance against the, bullshit that everybody deals with then it's like it's a waste of time and and so that's where that's where the name for the LP came from and um that's sort of the overarching theme and you know within it there are there are songs like about you know various different struggles or or celebrating things like straight edge and um uh it's cool because we were able to get um a a personal hero of mine and other members of the band uh, to do guest vocals um the song out front that's on our band camp um, it features Tim McMahon, who um, he sings in a band called Search Now, um, but he sang in a band called Mouthpiece um, that was a big straight edge band um, in the 90s and uh, the early 2000s. And they were on New Age. So it was cool because it was sort of this like full circle for him to be able to contribute to a project that's on his old label. And um, so that record coming out was like a huge, um, and, and I know it's true for Davis as well, um, our bassist, is that it was like a sort of like a pipe dream. And um, when we started the project, we would jokingly say like, well, where's it gonna stop? You know, like these, these people keep hitting us up to put out these releases. And Davis, we were in his bedroom uh, before one of our, sh- it actually was before our first show. 
uh, we're like sitting around in his bedroom, like uh, opening our, all of our cassettes that came from the label in California. And we're like, oh, we got a cassette, man. You know, like we're all psyched about it. And uh, I was like, where's it gonna end? You know, like who, who, maybe we'll put out a record. And he was like, it'll end when New Age hits us up and wants to put out a record. And, it, and like, he was kidding. Like it was, it was like a joke. So now it's like, oh my God, like we're here. Like now, so it's like, we gotta make use of that platform. And it can't just be for us at this point. Like it yeah. can't just be something that it's like a fun pet project for us. Like we got to make a better use of it. And so that's sort of the whole goal of the LP. So that's, I'm really excited for it to come out. It sounds like the message has a, a universality to yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, um, so when, um, I, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, um, so for both Vanguard and uh, Life Forces projects, do we have release dates? No, unfortunately. I mean, it's just kind of hard to get concrete release dates right now with, with the pandemic going on, um, just because they are both coming out on vinyl. Um, I want to say the pressing plant Mike from New Age uses is in like the Czech Republic yep. or something like that. Um, and with international shipping and everything like that, it's just hard to nail down a timeline. The Life Force LP um, is in pressing right now. So hopefully it should, what, what would well, you say? Probably just like another month or so? No, or not two? even. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to have the LPs in hand next week. Oh, hmm. no shit. Okay, I didn't even know it was that soon. Yeah, so okay. they're, supposed to, they're supposed to be in the States next week, but that was before the whole USPS debacle. Um, so now it's uh, I save don't, the USPS, right? Oh, yeah. uh, I I don't know for sure to answer your question. Um, I can tell you though that orders are open for the LP uh, for the Life Force record, um, not just from New Age but from Revelation Records as well. That Revelation is doing a um, an exclusive pressing, um, which again it's sort of like a wild like dream come true to be part of anything to do with Revelation. So literally two labels I've looked up to like since, <laughs> since high school. Yeah, like posters on like, my wall in high school. Like now crazy. Like, Holy shit. So yeah, so both labels do have orders open right now. You can order it. And um, the reason that I pumped that is not because we already did the pre-sales and everything's done. Um, but the orders are open. And the reason I say that is you'll have the minute that they're in the hands of the labels, they'll be in the hands of the people like street date. Um, so yeah. I, I think that initially we'd been told it was August 24th was the mail date, like the, the date that they would show up at the warehouse and then shipping, you know, from there to the customers is, it, it is what it is, but it's, uh, it should be for that very soon. And then, yeah, um, I didn't even know it was that soon. Yeah. Um, wow. Vanguard, Vanguard will be this fall. I don't, I don't know if you've talked to Mike in the last couple of days with any sort of update, but I mean, we're, Right now, um, he is, New Age is doing a lot of coordination with um, an overseas um, distributor and uh, they're not a label, but Cortex Records is in Germany and um, they partnered with New Age to put out an exclusive color of the Life Force LP. Hmm. Um, so then when New Age announced that members of Life Force have another project, um, so to give you context, the, the Cortex color for the, for the Life Force LP, it sold out in like, like 13 hours or something. Like something like that. Yeah, it was like a yeah. day. 
Um, so then, of course, like when they heard that we were doing a new project, they were like, oh, we want that too. So it's, but it adds like a layer of, of complexity to where it's, you have to coordinate. Okay, so how many pressings are there? Well, are we and then I think, I think Rev is doing, Rev is yeah. doing one for the Vanguard EP as well. Yeah. Um, so it's just, we're waiting on everything to get coordinated right now. So it's hard for us to nail down a, an exact release date. Sure. In context, we've, we have designated like what the, the colors of the vinyl, all those decisions are made. All of the art is already in hand. Um, so all of the logistical pieces um, on the band side, and I think state side are basically done. So it's just a matter of, coordinating everything in to have all the dominoes in place so that the pre-orders can go live, which should be, it, I mean, it should be pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think uh, it's right around the corner. And regardless, uh, we have a new uh, video and a new single coming out soon. Um, so everybody who watches, be on the lookout for that because um, that will be here before you know it. Awesome. Very awesome. Um, cool stuff, guys. Um, the last question I had, um, Where'd you guys find, like, what is that sample of the, at the beginning of the Vanguard? That's um, all, he found it, it's awesome. Yeah, I found it on uh, YouTube, actually. It's, uh, there's a vegan activist by the name of Philip Woolen, and he gave this speech at um, some, like, world vegan debate in, I don't remember what year it was, in Australia. Um, and I heard it and I was like, all right, I, I have to put this on the record. Um, if you, you could find the whole thing on YouTube, his whole speech, if you look up like, um, quote unquote, best vegan speech ever, Philip Woolen. Um, but I, I really do suggest going and listening to the whole thing because I, I, by the time I heard this, you know, I've been vegan for like over a year and a half now, or just about a year and a half now. And it still gave me chills when I heard it for the first time and made me realize, you know, really like this isn't for now, this isn't for tomorrow, this is for the rest of my life. I will not needlessly consume another living being. Yeah, I think maybe this, that speech operated for you on a level that the song that I heard that was that moment for me. Sure, and, I, yeah. and like, don't get me wrong, like, I was totally already, like, I was already vegan when I heard it, but it really solidified a yeah. lot of things for me. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I had a similar experience with a, a track that was, um, the lyrics were written by a friend of mine, and um, we weren't friends at the time, he's a friend of mine now, but um, at the time, I'd, I'd already made the decision to go vegetarian and you hear the right thing. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier. You hear the right thing and it's like, you, it sort of clicks. And um, that was sort of the motivation for including that, that quote is that it is powerful. Like that, the way that he speaks is he's very well-spoken, but his points are so eloquently provided that it's like, you can't really not get it. And so that was sort of the motivation behind including it. And, um, interestingly and i think it's a genius move it's all josh but um he had the idea to put the closer the closing statement from that same speech as the closing statement of the record i don't remember if it's actually like the closing closing statement but the 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 beginning i took from the very beginning of the speech and the ending quote on the end of the record is like from at least towards the end of the, the close speech. it's like he's like closing the same point like it's yeah. It's the same idea thread, 
which is cool because it's like, it makes the record feel like a succinct message and it, it yeah. kind of bookends the whole thing. So I, that was him. Cause when he showed it to me, I was mind fucked. I was like, that fucking could not have been better. So good on you. <laughs> Hell yeah, boys. Um, Thank dude, you. This was awesome. I was, it's awesome to get to know you guys as, as bands. Like, I mean, Josh, like, obviously we've been friends for a while, but just hearing kind of like the philosophy behind the music and, you know, what you guys have, these bodies of work that, you know, you've been um, developing has just been, I, I feel like I learned a lot tonight, like a lot about for, for one, veganism that I hadn't ever really thought of in certain ways. And I think that was really, really impactful. So I appreciate you guys sitting down for i believe for over an hour and a half now <laughs> letting us letting us yeah. talk your fucking ear off yeah, we appreciate it, man. you're getting an insight into any time that he and i are in the same room oh, this like, is like unavoidable it's like it's, a circle jerk no, i feel so bad for his fiance <laughs> yeah well flint i also feel like it doesn't feel at all like i've just met you tonight you know, yeah, like, yeah it's, it's nice to like, it's kind of the same thing that I was talking about with Josh is that it's like, you can meet a, a kindred spirit and click right away. So that's, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like I've met you and you've been sitting in the same spot this whole time since I first met you. And it, you know, <laughs> like it's just such a object permanence. It's a crazy thing. Um, <laughs> awesome. It, it is as soon as we close the computer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as we close out, guys, um, I'd love to hear. So I ask everyone the same two questions on our way out. Uh, Josh, we'll start with you on this one. What keeps you up at night? Um, man, what keeps me up at night? God, that's a hard question. I'm glad you went first. Uh, <laughs> um, on a lighter note, uh, motherfuckers who can't use their turn signals. Um, oh, yeah. On a serious note, um, really, like, you know, it's one of the reasons that Vanguard started is people who hold a willful ignorance towards the wrongs of the world um, and live in their bubble of willful ignorance, knowing that the things that they do are wrong or at least complicit in not making change for the better for people, for animals, for anybody who faces oppression and anybody who faces discrimination um, and just allows themselves to exist, not doing anything to catalyze change for the better. Really good, good way to, good way to put it. Um, that's kept me up at night a lot too, especially in the last couple of months. You have the the marches going on, um, and meanwhile, you know, in Milwaukee, like there's people that are just hanging out at Bradford Beach and going to the bar every single day. Like, you we know, have nothing is taking away people in unmarked vans. You want to say we don't live in a fascist failed state? I don't really have a rebuttal because there are police, there are federal police in Portland taking disappearing people, away. People. disappearing people. And then, the next, and then the next morning, people go to the cafe right where that disappearance happened, and they sit on that sidewalk and sip mimosas and, and act like nothing's happening. So that's, yeah, it adds a layer of frustration. Or they involve them, they insert themselves into social justice movements for a clout chase. 
yeah you know that too is yeah that too is just an absolute fucking headache um so flint how about you what keeps you up at night uh so on a on a personal level so like in my personal life um i was supposed to be marrying the love of my life on uh the 4th of september and it got delayed and um it's indefinitely delayed at this point so it's like I don't know, we don't know when we're gonna be able to actually make that happen. And uh, that's been hugely stressful and frustrating. And um, obviously that's a a huge event in our lives that we were really looking forward to. So that's having that been delayed the way it was uh, with little to no warning and uh, not being able to do the ceremony like we wanted to. Um, on a, in my personal life, that's been keeping, keeping me up at night, obviously. Um, uh just to be completely honest with you because that's that's like mega frustrating and it's one of those things you get your all your plans in order you plan very very uh strictly and you do everything the right way and your plans just get destroyed i was i for one was looking forward to me crying at your wedding. i'm saying yeah uh so on a personal level that's definitely been uh, uh the the answer to the question on a i think on a global level um what keeps me up at night is this sort of enduring um personal i guess it's probably a symptom of like imposter syndrome to a point yeah um this fear that i'm not excuse me that i'm not doing enough uh like what could i be doing better or what could i be doing more of um how could i be using my time more wisely and um anyone that hangs out with me on a regular basis will know that it's like a problem in my whole life. Like I, I even like sitting and playing video games for an extended period of time. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, and I was like, like, it's like, there's so much more I could be doing right now. And it's like, that keeps me up a lot is that it's like, well, how better could I phrase a message that I want to put out on the next Vanguard Instagram post? You know what I mean? Like something as silly as that, but it's like, I want to, that keeps me up at night is that this, this uh, mindset that I maybe, what could I be doing better? What could I be doing more of? And then, which then leads to the black hole of uh, why aren't more people caring? Like why aren't more people wanting to do better and wanting to care more? And it's not to like, you know, wave like my own flag in that way, but it's like, it, it just blows my mind. You know, even when I talk to friends and family of my own, that it's like, not only are they not active in any way on a socio-political level, but it's like, they don't care to be. And it's just like, Jesus, you know, like what else has to occur to push you to that point? Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, and this kind of notions to like being a leftist, being a communist, a socialist, whatever term you identify with, it's depressing. It's very depressing, but I'd rather be depressed and be a leftist than be ignorant and be something else you know like because the amount of privilege you have to literally exude out of every pore in your body to actually be able to say i don't care about politics and sleep at night yeah. is ridiculous that's exactly what i'm getting at. yeah it was just it was yeah. it's funny yeah. that you said that it's depressing um last christmas uh or two christmases ago um i was at my dad's house and um i brought my dog and we were walking me and my dad were walking my dog around the block because my dad loves the dog and um we ran into 
one of my high school friends' parents who were also on a walk to like escape their family. <laughs> and we like met on the other side of the block and we're like, oh, hey, how are you type thing. And she was like, um, did I see on Facebook that you're vegan now? And like, keep in mind, I've been vegan for like almost nine years. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, we haven't, obviously like we are, there's no degree of close connection in any way. But this lady's a nurse and she was like, uh, are you vegan now? And I was like, yeah, I'm vegan now. And my dad's like, yeah, like rolling his eyes type shit. And um, she was like, you know, that leads to depression, right? And that's like this, that's one of the like enduring myths about like, if you don't take in enough animal protein, it affects you, it affects your mental health and it causes you to become, to develop mental illnesses. And uh, it's completely untrue. But it was funny because I almost said what you just said. I was like, yeah, I am depressed, but not chemically. Like it's, a, yeah. like it's, it's because of dealing with yeah. people like you on a daily basis. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the glimp, the glimpse of hope is through revolution. So yeah. yeah. Um, Josh, what puts you to sleep? Um, what puts me to sleep, man? Um, Lately, fucking Benadryl, dude, because, <laughs> like, you say some sort of drug. Because, like, <laughs> because I, I worked, so I worked overnights at work a couple of weeks ago, and my sleep schedule has been fucked ever since, so now I've taken, like, I've had to take, like, Benadryl to go to sleep, because, like, low-key delving into my mental health here for a while, I was prescribed to Trazodone, which is an antidepressant, but, like, it also helps regulate your sleep schedule. And then I ran out of trazodone and I'm doing fine up here, but I'm not doing fine down right. here. <laughs> um, but like, uh, no, um, realistically, like people who, um, I don't know, man, like, like, I don't really just know how to phrase what I'm looking for, but like, People who have no interest in being a part of something that isn't something that like everybody is already a part of and like don't get me wrong like I'm not bashing on anybody can be into what they're into but like um people who you talk to and it's like washing paint dry because like you know all they all they want to talk about is like like the new Lil Yachty track that came out that you've been seeing on Twitter for the last two weeks anyways and everybody's heard it <laughs> um but you know or like or like you know like wet ass pussy or something like like it's fine it's it's actually a pretty good song but it's yeah. you know, it's not what I need to talk about 24 hours a day for the next two weeks of my life um for me those people are the people who insist on talking to me about the newest video games i'm just like i'm happy you're happy but dude i like there's so much more to be talking about right man yeah. i'm so, all right flynn I, I i get it i'm sorry i talk about breath of the wild so much dog. <laughs> um or people that talk about friend drama from like five years ago <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Like, like people who feel the need to, um, people who feel the need to make a petty 
argument out of everything or like a petty call out out of every little thing in the entire world like so you're saying don't what, you... what puts you to sleep is the existence of the antithesis of these people is it knowing people who aren't like that is what comforts you yeah okay. like like, yeah. like people who give a like, shit <laughs> like, 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 like people who give a shit like don't put me to sleep but people who like make a big deal out of everything that's not a big deal oh it's i thought like, i thought he was saying like what comforts you at night and let's that is that kind of is the oh, no i'm i'm saying i'm saying the opposite of that comforts me or what like, bores you enough that like, you're like, yeah people that have people that have depth like, people that have depth like, like the existence of those people themselves like don't you have anything interesting to worry or talk about that's people that you, people that are on your level of existence and understanding that puts him to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Flint? Um, my fortunate standing in life that I, I am at a place where I have people that care about me and I have a comfortable home and I've been fortunate enough to land into a career that I can support a comfortable home for me and my family and uh i i'm not worrying about where my next meal is coming from or whether or not i'm i have to worry about my job being in jeopardy like i have in the past um those types of stressors being removed uh allow me to focus on the things that are more important than that that i that i have always um you know in previous eras of my life had to sideline for survival and I'm I no longer have to uh, worry about those things and and it's I understand that there's a lot of privilege behind being able to be in the position I'm in and so making wise use of that and um, trying to be um, appreciative of it and understand that that little warm center that I crowd around and lets that lets me breathe and relax like that's that's probably for me what like gives me the most peace that i'm not i i had a friend that he's passed away since but he wrote a lyric um that has like burned into my brain ever since i was a teenager which was uh every day is a struggle and every day is a gift and i've been very lucky in the last couple of years that the struggle side of that has really subsided to I feel like like every day I wake up and I'm like damn I can't believe this is my life like I feel really fortunate and so that's that lets me relax at night and uh my fiance gets really mad at me because I can lay down and close my eyes and I, I literally can fall asleep in like 35 seconds like I have no amount of time to fall asleep she's always like you're a fucking mutant like that's not natural and uh that's why I mean it's like I I'm at a point where it's like I can I can feel like I'm loved and cared for and I'm very mentally healthy for the first time in a long time and I'm it lets me pass out. <laughs> that is a that's a real skill. That's a gift uh passing out that quickly. Um, Lots of years of getting here and now I'm, I'm like I'm at the mountaintop so I'm like dude I'm gonna enjoy it. <laughs> Every day I bring him down just a little bit. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. Um, this was 
probably the long, probably the longest episode I've ever had. So, uh, yeah. Dude, thank having you, me thank on for having us, a, a talker. I apologize. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, good shit, guys. So, uh, new uh, Vanguard EP, new Life Force EP. Um, you know, get to know your uh, hardcore scene wherever you live, wherever you exist. Um, Go to a show, especially especially if you're young, looking for something to do, go to a hardcore show. And it's, if there aren't shows happening because of the quarantine, yeah. get plugged into whatever everybody's doing online or distributing. Or even if they're selling CDs, you know, like... Go listen... Support people. Go listen to um, Satisfaction is the Death of Desire by Hate Breed. <laughs> go listen to When the Smoke Clears by Foundation. And please... <laughs> and please, for the love of God... Go listen to Destroy the Machines by Earth Crisis. Yeah, there it is. Thanks for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Hell yeah.